Catholic disinformation hour. This is the least trusted, most watched hour in Catholic news, the rundown. Special Saturday morning edition, welcoming James for the first time. Thank you for joining us today, James. My pleasure to be here. Thank you. We have so many things to be talking about, uh, including all these 17 year olds that are just dropping dead on camera. We're going to show you some of that. Ron DeSantis in the news. And of course, the church is on fire as it always seems to be. Hi, this is a little message to the unvaccinated. Ugh. You are killing everyone. It's your fault. You're being selfish. So get the vaccine because I'm vaccinated. I am vaccinated. Okay. And so I'm protected because the vaccine is safe and effective. So if you're around me and you're unvaccinated, then you're putting me at, at, well, you're not, you're, no, okay. So you're selfish because if I'm protected and you're around me, then I'm, then I'm fine, but you're, but you're me. Sorry. If you're not vaccinated, then you're not, it's your, um, you're racist is what I'm saying. Everyone's been talking about what to do if you're unvaccinated or without a booster, but what should someone who has all three shots do to protect themselves against the Omicron variant? Gotcha. Good question. Yeah, good question. We're asking people to go get booster shot. And the question that was just asked is very relevant. What you do is exactly what we were saying, and that is to be prudent and careful. And one of the things that's very clear is that you, if you have to be in an indoor congregate setting in which you're unsure of what the vaccination status is of the people around you, wear a mask. So my friends and family ask, uh, Hayward, why are you wearing a mask when you're walking through the park? And the answer is, it's the last place in society where it's okay to forcefully exhale onto me as you run past.
Okay, is everybody awake? Good morning. Yeah. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> got, you got our, got our famous Red Bull here. Gives you there wings. We go. There we go. Um, okay, we have we have so many things to talk about. The top news story. What is the top news story this week? Top news story this week. Omicron. It, it is. It's the new variant. It's we're locking down. Um, I think I have a video of Pasaki. Do I have Pasaki? Here she is saying something really smart. Fear mongering. So what changed? Well, I would say first to put it in full context, Peter, what the president was critical of was the way that the former president put out, I believe, a xenophobic tweet uh, and how he called what he called the coronavirus uh, and and who he directed it at. The president has not been critical of travel restrictions. We have put those in place ourselves. We put them in place ourselves in the spring. But no, he does not believe he believes we should uh, follow the advice of health and medical experts. That's exactly what he did in putting in place these restrictions over the weekend. Okay, so the Muslim ban was racist, James, uh, but the African ban is not, is, is not racist. Unpack that for us. You know, it's a, it's a problem here because, you know, I guess they rely on us to have uh, short me- uh, memories. Uh, we remember what happened uh, back in uh, 2020, early 2020, when, you know, uh, I guess the president at the time tried to um have this ban and people cried racist uh all kinds of names but now almost two years later we have a ban which is quite similar and it's being touted as something you know revolutionary you know to save lives we have to do this um it's hypocrisy it's hypocrisy sorry i just removed james from the stream i don't know why sure. i did that but <laughs> it's, it's hypocrisy it's rules for thee and not for me right and it's yeah, the double absolutely. standard it's it's what you absolutely. say every week yep and it's precisely what you see in any kind of tyranny you see in any kind of communist country communist dictatorship where uh you know at the top they've got the caviar and the vodka and all the great stuff but at the bottom well no you can't actually have any of those things but because we're all equal and uh, you've been empowered uh, by having all your property stripped away, of course, naturally. So you have, can't really say anything about it. I mean, at least in you know uh, places where you had a lot of abuse of, of uh, authority and things like Louis XIV's France, for example, royal absolutism in France, there was at least a clear demarcation expectation. There wasn't any kind of pretense that, oh yeah, you, you know, we're we're all equal here and we're we're protecting and empowering you. It was pretty obvious that there was abuse in the system and everyone knew it. To a certain level, it was supposed to work better, more towards nobility and more towards mm-hmm. the common good. And it wasn't. It was a bit out of whack. But at least, you know, there, it's on the level. You, you get what you kind of expect in that level. Nobody's lying to you and gaslighting you on a regular basis that you're free when you're not free. That you uh, you can, you know, you're free to move about when you're not actually free to move about. That, you know, or just pretending that we did not see clearly the Democrats whine and complain that banning any travel whatsoever was racist when Donald Trump was in office. But now that uh, Supreme Leader uh, Biden, uh, creepy Uncle Pedro Joe, is in in office, now uh, it's perfectly okay to ban travel, especially from the, those dirty black countries that, because mm-hmm. we, we're Democrats, we're allowed to say things like that, whereas a Republican dares to say that. But that's what they think, right? But, that, that is really what they think about Africa, and they show it and yeah, say those it those poor Africans don't know any better. Who was that cardinal back? Was it uh, 2016? Casper. Was it... Uh, Casper. Yeah, Casper. Absolutely. Right. I mean, that 
Yeah, that was really a, a tragic of a statement, but that's really what um, a lot of uh, these liberals think. You know, sometimes they think out loud and we can hear them. Um, and then, you know, they pretend as though, well, you know, uh, it's just kind of what what it is. But I'm mm -hmm. sorry, you know, if it's anyone else saying it, it becomes a problem. It becomes racist, it becomes uh, xenophobic. But when, a, you know, a progressive that, Marxist that, says let, it, it's, let, let, oh, me just, it's, let me just yeah, ask a question. Is Does that word actually have a meaning? I mean, like, it doesn't anymore. Like, I, I mean, I, I've been accused of racism just within the last forty-eight hours. Like, like, every, if if everybody is a racist, then nobody's a racist, right? Like, I, at a certain point, it's like you empty the word of its meaning, you divorce the word from its meaning, and and therefore it just becomes um, it just becomes gutter trash. It means yeah. whatever the zeitgeist, whatever the the powers that shouldn't be have decided it should mean. Um, it, it could be everything. It's. Um, I'm trying to think, or like the the, introdu uh, the introduction video you showed, mm -hmm. uh, the the one fellow, um, you know, doing the parody of all the variants and all these things, and well, you, you must be anti, uh, you know what, Fauci, Fauci, and uh, you know this, and you're you're not taking the Fauci, Fauci causes this, and as he's seeing the manifold contradictions, he ends with, oh, well, you're you're just racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really, someone ought to make a meme. Yeah, someone someone ought to make a meme that uh, Oprah meme. You know, you're a racist. You're a racist. You're a racist. <laughs> you're a racist. <laughs> you're a racist. I don't like you, so you're racist. Um, Ryan, I think your beard is racist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, speaking of gaslighting us and uh, just hiding from plain sight, what's happening? Uh, watch this. Watch this uh, news broadcast where <laughs> literally, literally, when people are dropping dead live on the broadcast, it's kind of hard to hide that. Oops. Ooh, we're going to cut away. Oh, how about this guy? 17-year-old football player. Esto sin... esto no lo consiguió solo, esto lo consiguió todos los murcianos porque esto sin el sin el apoyo de Wow. And there are dozens more examples of this. It's happening everywhere. They can't hide it. Uh, the masks have come off. Why? Why are people? This is a good this is a good question here. This says, is it oxygen deprivation from the Fauci uh, face diaper? I think it's something more. Yeah, I think we all know that, it's yeah. something more. Brother Martin, is it normal in your experience that 17 year old athletes are just falling over dead? I read an article, I think this past week, there are some 108 registered coaches and players uh, for FIFA. FIFA is an international world organization for soccer. You know, the World Cup is, is organized by FIFA. Some 108 players have, have uh, either died or been seriously injured from, from a heart condition. And this isn't just like uh, people in like third divisions, like amateurs playing. These are people that play for Barcelona, one of the most, uh, the biggest, one of the biggest uh, soccer teams in the, in the world. You know, financially, uh, professionally, successfully, everything. Um, in big tournaments like the Champions League, Champions League is, is a tournament where you get all the best European teams and they play together. So these are on huge, huge stages. I mean, also a player from Denmark. Um, when was it the last tournament? The European, champ uh, the European Euro 2022 or whatever it was. Um, 
you know, just falling over in game one, crushing his heart, you know, all these people, and they're all crushing their heart. It's not like they're, they're falling over because they're, you know, deprived of water. And these are people that are absolutely in the, in the best physical shape you can be. These are professional athletes before teams transfer, before players transfer teams, they always take pictures of them on a, on a, on a bicycle with all types of wires hooked up to them, making sure that the money's going to be worth it. Because these, if they're, if this person is not in shape, their money's not uh, worth it. And the transfer doesn't go through. And so these people are monitored. These people are in the best shape possible. And yet they're the ones falling over. Uh, speaking of just falling out of the frame, I mean, and taking this role playing very, very seriously. <laughs> okay, he's back with us. Ryan, I didn't see if you were clutching your heart when you dropped out of the frame or not. <laughs> well, by the way, you know, um, I rolled out Mike. of bed and drove through uh, snow to get here. In order to be with you guys, and that came at the sacrifice of morning coffee. So okay, all right, all right, there we go. By the way, Mike, it's pretty racist that you would assume brother would know anything about soccer. You know, <laughs> I know, I know. I I went to the Latin in the in the stream. You know, I think this is the most this is the most diverse panel in all of Tradville. But but yeah. we're all racist too. I'm sure. Everybody's a racist because you know that's what you call your enemies. Um, speaking of speaking of enemies. Have any of you guys ever had this experience where you're barefaced at a store and somebody is taking your picture? That that happened to my wife and I once. And I oh, did yeah, something I similar to what this guy did. I didn't I didn't film him. I just confronted him. Uh, it was a very scary moment for him. Nope, oh, that's not the right video. Hold on, hold on. It's just, just a cop in duress that no one. Can yeah, remember. first it was a possum, now it's uh, <laughs> okay. some someone in the store. <laughs> Look at how he's walking. Me. Just tell me, I'll leave you alone. If I can stay alive. Tell me, and I'll leave you alone. Why are you taking pictures of my daughter? Tell me with your six masks. Can you just tell me? Well, I can stay alive, please. So you can stay alive? That's why you're taking pictures of my minor daughter. What's that actually gonna do? He was taking pictures of me and my, my minor daughter. Can I no, because you, you, were, you felt brave taking pictures, but now you want to run. Tell me. Yeah, you look scared now, huh? Yeah, you're real brave now, aren't you? No, I'm... Oh, you're real brave with your 90 masks on. Sorry. Here he is, everybody. Here is the man that took a picture of my minor daughter because he said he was scared because did, she didn't have a mask on. Because she didn't have a mask on. So you, so you think it's okay to take pictures of my little girl? You think that's acceptable behavior, sir? I took a picture because you weren't wearing a mask. I deleted it. You know that. Sir, leave me alone, please. You don't, you don't have to worry. I'm not going to do anything to give you that much. Well, I appreciate that. I do. Yes, yes. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you, my mother. This guy's stocking up on toilet paper. Yeah. Okay, so it's a, it's a religion for them. We've talked about that on the rundown. They have their own sacrament, anti-sacraments. They have their own anti-ecclesiology. They have their own anti-theology. They have their own anti-liturgy. We've covered that. But these people now, I mean, they have their own anti-apostles. I mean, they're out there trying to shame you, Brother Martin, if you have the unforgivable sin of presenting your face as God created it, uh, barefaced in the public. And a lot of us allow ourselves to be shamed. I mean... Kudos to this guy who who stood who stood up. Um, a lot of us, when we see signs that say "mask recommended," we just put on our mask as if it doesn't mean anything. But it is it it's a it's a method they're using to to train us to be obedient to whatever the government says simply because they ask. Um, but yeah, it's, this is our God given face. We have the right to breathe air, fresh air, 
Um, air is free. So. Mm -hmm. um, this trend, I think this disturbing trend is going to continue, James. Uh, I think that the bullying is going to continue. And I think that largely people now have, uh, for the most part, invented their own religions, their own ideology, their own uh, anti-apostolates, and they are willing to personally destroy anyone that gets in their way. And that's everybody now, even Catholics, tend to believe that the ends justify the means. Yeah, and this is a falling off here of uh, pretty much what is basic one-on-one logic. Uh, we're in this free fall, and people are pretending as though um, this is okay. Um, and I, I don't really know how to wrap my head around it. You know, every day I, I, I walk around, I see people, there's, there, you know, there's not a mask mandate, you know, where I am, you know, but, but yet you have people walking around and obviously turning their heads, you know, ever so slightly to know, to give you the impression that they know that you're not masked and that, you know, they feel threatened by it. And of course, you know, um, it, it, I mean, from, from, my, from my position, you know, if I ever get confronted as that mandate, that's exactly what, what I would do. Um, and so mm -hmm. I would encourage people out there to stop being afraid. You know, uh, we, like Brother Martin was saying, you know, we, we have this uh, face that's been given to us by God. And if we're hiding it because the narrative keeps changing, at what, at what point do we ask ourselves, is there really a, a narrative here? Is a narrative uh, for them? to basically uh, turn us into people who do not know how to function as human beings. You know, mm -hmm. what are they turning us into? Yeah, I, and Ryan, I mean, th these people are the most zealous apostles for the anti-religion of all time. I mean, they're more, they're more assured of themselves, justified of themselves, uh, narcissistic than any communist ever was. Mm-hmm. They've been convinced it's a life and death struggle that they are looking at death on the other side. If they don't do these things and you see this sort of Stockholm syndrome amongst people who are vaccine injured, even that the, the, some of them anyway, it'll be on uh, camera. It'd be like, oh, uh, everyone should still get vaccinated. I, I don't want anyone to think that what happened to me means you shouldn't get vaccinated. And it was literally, a, I forget what local news station it was. This woman had this horrible, horrible experience, suffered MS, was paralyzed, couldn't even, you know, talk to her own kids, had to teach herself how to walk again and talk again, mm -hmm. still cannot really function uh, or work or do anything. And she's still saying, well, we, some of us knew we'd get the short end of the stick. And uh, that, that's kind of the way it goes. I still think everyone should get vaccinated and She's just expressing her frustration. They couldn't take care of her injuries a little bit better. I mean, that's Stockholm syndrome at the end of it, or mm -hmm. way back mm -hmm. in the beginning of all this. The uh, the nurse that there was the first nurse to get uh, jab, and she passed out within ten minutes of getting it, which they tell us is normal. I guess there is, you know, are things where you get a shot and you pass out. But then she had an onset of actual symptoms, and she was so terrified of of, of you know being exploited, as it were, by those of us who don't want to get the short straw. And uh, <laughs> coming out mm -hmm. of that draw. But that's mm -hmm. the thing. And that's how religiously motivated they are at all of these things. And so they will come out and, and bring the hate. They will come out against you like you are. A pro I mean, just just look at that marginalization that takes place in uh, in Ukraine under the Soviets when they decide, oh, yeah, all, all, any Ukrainians that are farmers, they're all hiding food. They're all kulaks. They're all, you know, we got to kill them all and take their food. And then you have the the uh, the Ukrainian Holocaust. 
This is a this is a as you said in the in the private chat, Brother Martin. This is a Jesuitical understanding of obedience. I mean, these people take their statism seriously. It is their it is their religion. The state represents their church, um, and and whatever the nanny state says to do, uh, makes make holy sacrifices for unholy sacrifices for the climate. Um, you know, echoing back to the Pachamama. Um, or if you must inject yourself with this unholy sacrament of the jab, uh, which is one of their two high sacraments, the other being abortion, um, that, then they just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm at least following the rules. A lot of people have seen, um, Brother Martin, this, this Australian woman who was uh, in 14 days in a prison camp because she came into contact with someone uh, who had tested positive. At no point in the 14 days did she test positive, and they almost uh, issued her a $5,000 fine for taking out her trash while she was at the prison camp. And the guy who was administering the fine was saying, hey, oh, look, I'm just doing my job. I'm just doing – I'm not here to fight with you. I, I have to do my job, and you have to do your job. It, that's like a Jesuitical – Exactly. That's a Jesuitical understanding of obedience. It is, and I say that because it seems that this is – I mean, the church is supposed to be teaching the world, and – of course, the world rejects the teachings of the church, but it seems like it actually likes this teaching, uh, which kind of makes you think how our how far our, our understanding of obedience has strayed from the actual true understanding of obedience. And we've, we've spoken about this many times before, how obedience is a virtue. It's a sacrifice of the will, not of the intellect. Uh, faith is a sacrifice of the intellect, meaning we give our intellectual assent to divinely revealed truths. Um, whereas, of course, we're, we're not slaves, but sons, because we, we love uh, we love God. And, and of course, those who he points above us uh, because of him. But I, those that are above us, the hierarchy that they've they've lorded over us and, and they want to see a, a new world order in a sense. It's mm. funny because the, the, the Bishop of Pensacola uh, recently said that Christendom is gone and, and it'll never come back. And he's happy about it. But what's interesting yeah. is that this new world order that they're creating with, with, with the secularism is precisely the, the demonic inversion of Christendom. It's, it's, it's the church participating in a recreation of society, mm-hmm. but, it, but the exact opposite of what Christendom was. It's now for, for secular values rather than Christian because, virtues. Yeah, because they can't be a void. Yeah. Yeah. Right. There's something yeah. even deeper, though, when you look at all of the things that are facing us now, even going back to about five or six years since the rise of the trans world order, as it were, <laughs> that is of the this very synthetic um, from the top uh, movement in favor of uh, either the, all the trans stuff. Right. Which it's like, wait a minute, where 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 did this come from? Right. It's engineered because it's really just a cloak for what the really crazy people have been talking about. Transhumanism, Mm -hmm. the singularity, Mm -hmm. combining us with machines, putting our putting a chip in you, making you more computerized. And of course, we've talked about in the past how the jab is closer to that. When you take all of these things, what is what is all what are all these things doing? They, They themselves tell us it's supposed to, you know, make it so the species Homo sapiens, meaning us, the human beings that God created in his image, male and female. They will be extinct, according to the social engineers, the scientists, the Ray Kurzweil's, uh, you know, the Bill Gates. There's all these people talking about what the, the next level of engineering through the jab, mm-hmm. through the singularity, through the, the chip in your brain, and you're going to play Pong with the monkeys type of thing. That's all leading to the death of the human race that God created in his image. And this is why the whole thing is demonic, because mm-hmm. it is literally the demon saying, we hate God, we hate his creation, we want to destroy it. Yeah. 
the fact that we have a prince of the church, though, this guy in Pensil- Pensacola, and I, I think I think this is the one I've seen a picture of him where he's doing like the prom pose. Yeah. Or whatever it's called. Yeah. Bishop sorority. Save me from it. B- Bishop sorority pose, uh, prom pose, duck face is celebrating the fact, James, that Christendom is no more. It's not coming back. And everybody should just move the hell along and live with it and deal with it. Is that is that a Catholic point of view? That's not a Catholic point of view at all, and not in the least. And to echo what Ryan just said, um, this this idea that you can remove, you can strip the world of Christianity, you can take Christendom out of the picture, it does not exist logically. What would happen is instead that void you know, becomes inverted, you know, so there's not really a void. Basically, it's for passing from one phase into another. So people who necessarily uh, or, or rather who say, well, you know, we just don't want the uh, Christian order because it's oppressive. It's this or that, you know, they think, you know, they're going to get some sort of void where people just kind of love each other. But if there is any situation like that, then what happens? If that void, quote unquote, gets filled by something else. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. So we're seeing a mm-hmm. rise in all these mm-hmm. demonia you know, out there taking the forms, whether it's trans movement, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, a, a manipulation of genes, uh, you know, all, all, all this stuff, it's coming out now. And it's it's what's filling the entire world. And people are confused. They're not sure exactly why this, even parents who are, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, who vote, who would vote one way as liberals, or whatever, you mm-hmm. know, you saw the last uh, attack, you know, with the CRT, uh, you know, thinking in schools, how some of these parents started to realize, oh my goodness, there is something in the works here and it is d- demonic and I don't want my child to participate in this, you know? So th- if this bishop is laughing and, you know, gleefully sort of expressing the death of Christianity, well, heaven help him <laughs> because, you know, we don't want to live. I'm sure he doesn't want to live in a world where, you know, Christianity is not present. You know, know speaking of that. speaking of politics, let's talk about political solutions. If they're going to come here, you know, we'll provide buses and provide them. Uh, we, I will send them to Delaware and do that. I mean, if, if he's not going to support the border being secured, then then he should be able to have uh, everyone there. Uh, so we will do whatever we can uh, in that regard, and we are absolutely going to do everything we can. Is Ron DeSantis the savior of the nation of these United States, Ryan? Is can we vote our way out of this? No, I mean, if if it seems reasonable that that's going to limit the evil in some way, then you know, hey, go ahead and vote uh, if that's what, if you really think it's going to help. And there's some situations where even I vote uh, because it, it it actually can help, possibly help something if the right person gets in, at least to to stem the tide. But you're not going to vote your way out of where we are going right now, which is the collapse of Western civilization being engineered from above, more or less. You can't. The only thing that's going to save us is Christ the King. Both parties are compromised. I mean, the Republicans are just the Democrats in slow motion, right? They're the exact same thing. They're always reacting and always trying to put the, the face for conservatives. And then, you know, you know, just to keep them on the plantation. It, it's, it's, you know, all about that, keeping you on that voting plantation so you never get out. You don't think outside the box. Meanwhile, Pfizer controls all the politicians. Pfizer 
right? Or Monsanto, which now is Bayer, Bayer Santo, right? Um, whatever. All these big corporations, the banks, Goldman and Sachs, they control your fiscal policy. They control what's going on in your lives. They control your government representatives, not you. Your vote means absolutely nothing to them. Congress is completely rigged up so that if you want to be on an important committee, you need to pay for your seat, but your congressional salary will never pay for that seat. So how do you get it? Well, just walk into the lobbyists. They have literally structured the system for you to sell out as the only means to accomplish anything. And if you don't, then they'll run some guy against you in your in your area and you'll lose. So let me ask a distinction here. I want to kick it to James and then to Brother Martin. What is the difference between acknowledging the fact that if they can nullify an election once, that they could nullify an election for all time, and probably they've been controlling elections for longer than most people think? What is the difference between taking that practical point of view and, as some Catholics would accuse us of, saying of, of, of despair? What is the difference between those two things, James? Um. That's a very good question. You know what? Um, I, I don't. I, I really don't know. Um, do you feel? Talk, do, yeah. you, do you feel in despair when you say to yourself, uh, "I know that my vote is probably not going to change an outcome, and I'm just participating in a broken system"? Is that despair, no, or is that just reality? It, it's just reality, you know. And and, and honestly, um, years ago, obviously, years ago, I I lived in. Uh, particular cities that were heavily invested, involved in uh, politics. And I participated hard and more, you know, than I ever participated before. But it mm -hmm. wasn't until I walked in to uh, the close picture that I start seeing a lot of things that were unsavory. And I realized this is a rig, you know, that, and I, I couldn't participate to that full extent as I had done in, at that time. And I, honestly, I, I was at peace with it. I kind of realized my kingdom is where I live is, you know, my family is the local area, you know, which is more closely for me, something I can monitor and I can get people involved in. And this is the principle of subsidiarity here. Right. So, you know, rather than sort of, you, you know, falling over ourselves to, to figure out what's going on uh in, in dc or you know other places like you know we we just have to focus more closely on that that closest that close relationship we have mm -hmm. to where we live and that's how we kind of start to turn, yeah. turn things around localism in, in, in my, yeah in my yeah. opinion yeah and and think locally act locally if steve were on the stream he would be saying that he would he would be saying divorce from yeah. dc um brother martin i want to ask you a slightly different version of the question a lot of traditional Catholics will acknowledge that Christ is king. The mm -hmm. kingship is the rightly ordered um, political point of view of, of the universe. If, if, if Christ is king, then kingship is rightly ordered. A lot of them also then make the leap directly into becoming monarchists. It's easy to say that monarchy is a LARP, that it's, you know, that it's uh, live action role playing is what LARP stands for. For those of you that are not on Twitter, um, or Gen Xers, <laughs> right? Um, and and some other people have put forward theories about intermediary steps between this broken, corrupt, black money, dark money system that we have now and getting to a rightly ordered Catholic monarchy. 
to include corporatism, to include the good old fashioned American strongman. Um, and yes, even other words that some people don't like. So people are thinking about this out loud and they're saying to themselves, I don't like what I have now. I would, I do like DeSantis. I would rather DeSantis be, you know, a reigning monarch person, you know, or, mm -hmm. or have some duration to his office so that he's invested in the long term of this country rather than just be invested in a four year cycle or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the question I have to you is, are the Carlists, are the monarchists, are the fascists, are the uh, all of the ists, all the people who are trying to think about how to get our way out of this broken political system, are they all just living in some alternate fantasy? Are they just LARPers? I, w I wouldn't call them LARPers per se, but I mean, having studied uh, you know philosophy of politics, um, and we study Aristotle, we study Plato, we study, uh, study Thomas More, we study uh, Aquinas, in each of the three traditional forms of government, I mean, fascism is something relatively new, but the three traditional ones are democracy, aristocracy, and, and, and monarchy. Um, there's always a big question. What happens when you get someone bad in power? Um, and that's always, that fear is, is, is usually what people start with whenever they argue against a monarchy. What happens when you get someone bad in power? Then you're stuck with this guy. What happens, you know, aristocracy, what happens when you get a few guys that are collected uh, together and they're all bad? And then democracy, democracy, mob rule, what happens in mob rule? But I think what's important to consider is the fact that Aristotle in particular in politics mm -hmm. argues that uh, a monarchy is, is particularly a family for, for the reason that there needs to be a class of people that are trained from very from the youth of how to rule, of how to, to order society so that the people flourish. That's the only reason to, to uh, be collective in a society is so that everybody flourishes. And flourishing, of course, in the traditional sense is everyone living ethically, morally. Um, so all of the laws, everything ha have to be geared toward a, a, a good understanding of the human person, philosophical anthropology. I'm speaking very philosophically here because, sure, I mean, sure. we're talking about just a, kind of a secular state in a sense. Um, and so in order to have a good monarchy, in order to have to, to be able to trust this system, there needs to be a family that for generations have been trained to rule and have been trained in the subjects necessary. I mean, the liberal arts in order to, to understand what they need to do when they're in rule and how they need to rule. Um, yeah. And so, it, you know, to, to flip the switch like this and immediately put in a, in a king might, might be disastrous. Yeah, that's right. I mean, one of the, um, you know, one of the easiest things to point to, Ryan, are all the bad kings, mm -hmm. especially the absolute monarchs, mm -hmm. which I think Hilaire Balak rightly points out that absolutism and monarchy is a outgrowth of Calvinism. It's an outgrowth of the absolutism of Calvinistic theology. And that Catholic monarchy was never really absolute, although there are examples of that. So, I mean, but to Brother's point, Ryan, you know, okay, our system is broken. People are exploring other potential systems. Monarchy seems like it's, if it's, if it's the ideal, if you have King St. Ferdinand III or King St. Louis IX, but what if you have a really bad one? Right. And in, historically, if you had a really bad king, people would pray for the king. Sometimes the church would intervene. You, uh, you see historically things like interdict and, and excommunication. Uh, sometimes that, that actually worked. Innocent III had all the major monarchs of Europe excommunicated at the exact same time. And he still managed to come out on top of that whole ordeal. Uh, but fast forward 150 years later, that didn't actually work. So 
I, you know, I've said before, I'm an anarchist. The term anarchist, there people get confused. They think I'm talking like libertarian anarcho-capitalism, or I'm not talking about 19th century bomb-throwing anarchism. But what I mean is I'm a monarchist at heart. I prefer monarchy. Monarchy is rightly ordered. It's, it's more proper. But the modern world is so messed up. We have no means of getting a monarchy that rules by nobility, by tradition, that understands himself to be bound by the people and obligations uh, because his position exists for their benefit and the common good, not for, for his benefit, right? And so what, what do we have in the, you know, the last, I don't know, several hundred years? You have the tradition of royal absolutism, you have, which became kind of the standard. I mean, Henry VIII is the one who really pioneers it. King James the 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 sixth of Scotland, first of England, is the one who puts it to pen, the law of free monarchies, and it's uh, everyone starts aping it. You know, as soon as the French pick up that that pen and that whole notion, the way James has laid it out, actually, even though France has kind of a tradition of that at a certain level, because that's going to defend them against another war of religion. Once, um, you know, especially once Henri Bourbon's assassinated Louis the Thirteenth, like uh, I, I don't want to end up going the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So monarchy, while it might be rightly ordered, while it might be better, I think objectively it's a more sane and better form of government than democracy or republicanism. Uh, both forms of government I absolutely loathe and hate and would be happy if they all did. Like when people talk about democracy dying, can it die already? I'm sick of it. Let's let it go. Outside of a local area, democracy makes absolutely no sense. But really, there, you're not going to find a political solution. That's why I advocate for... Uh, I, I just use anarchy to get people to pay attention to me. So if I use some other kind of name, you know, solidaritist, uh, you know, mm -hmm. cooperative, um, you know, society bill, I don't know, whatever name you could put to it. And you're like, oh, whatever. If I say anarchist, all of a sudden, oh, whoa, what, what? Why, why do you believe that? Well, yes. let's have a little conversation here. But basically, <laughs> we need to build, we need to not trust in the government. We need to not pay attention to the government. We need to build a parallel economy, parallel communities of trust. Uh, there's a libertarian philosophy. I like certain effects of it, even though I don't agree with all the principles, the founding principles of it. It's called agorism, which is basically like, you know, we're going to, you know, build the society without government, but we're not going to say me alone on the mountain. I'm going to do it all. It's actually going to be us in community coming together, forming networks, forming who's growing what, finding, you know, finding where the demand is for this or that type of product. And we're going to put our resources together to make, you know, this work and, and go by natural law and common law and governing ourselves and staying away wave and clear of the state as much as possible and and that's more or less at least in those terms of effects that's what i tend to follow is that and that's what i've been working on you know we need now to work on alternative currencies and alternative means of payment alternative means of producing wealth because the beast system that's being constructed that was constructed by people like trump that is now being constructed by people like biden that uh, all the politicians eventually will support or bring about slowly or more actively. That system is all toward an even more centralized control like of our food supply. I don't know if anyone's been noticing things disappearing or finally taking notes of reports about our supply chain collapsing. Mm -hmm. And it is. I mean, next this time next year, you are not going to be getting a lot of types of food in the store. It's just that that's the reality. Um, and a lot of people aren't ready for that. They're trying to hold it together for Christmas. And um, James, I think you're, well, maybe Ryan is the, is the oldest person on the stream right now. But I, I remember as a child, one of my earliest memories, I remember Soviet propaganda in which uh, Dear Leader would promise that there would be goods and services available on the grocery shelves. 
we we have dear leader now uh brandon making those same promises james like are we're living in a socialist republic right now and most people aren't even aware of it and he's just trying to hold it together to get it through christmas <laughs> it, it's really amazing i mean go back 10 years ago um you can see you know aspects of uh, south america uh falling apart and back back here you know the conservatives are, are, are pointing to that you know at least 10 years ago during obama's uh, administration you know and um all of a sudden you know um you know the, the short-term memory, you know, again, is activated in 2021 and people don't even understand what's going on. You know, they're thinking, oh, well, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the coronavirus that is uh, causing all of this. And um, of course, you know, this is being used as a tool to, to get people ready for the collapse of society so they can bring, in, bring us in into this uh, new world order, this, uh, you know, build back better. Um, and this is what they need in order for that to happen. So this is going to be the new, uh, you know, slavery, you know, slavery of the system. And this is the, the, the necessary precursor for us for us to be sort of uh, pushed in that in that direction. So like like uh, I think Ryan just said, you know, this or was it you, Mike? You know, this is just uh, to tide us over so that we don't boil over too quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. So this Christmas, you know, you can have a little bit of Christmas just like you can have a little bit of Thanksgiving. But then, you know, we're going to rein in uh, you guys a little bit more. I saw a New York Times article, Brother Martin, you've lived in Europe, Ryan, you've lived in Europe, that Americans need to just be more like Europeans. Just get used to the idea that you're not going to have constant access to goods and services. You're going to live more simply. We're going to be more poor. You're going to pay more for housing. And, uh, you know, just just learn to walk places, brother. Right. <laughs> I think we were talking before the show that uh, there are certain aspects of European life that I do like. I mean, Italians are very laid back. Uh, being laid is, is not a problem. Um, relationships are, you know, family relationships are, are, are still very strong and important in, in Italy and in, in that society. Uh, whereas Americans, we're very busy. We're very pragmatic. We're all about fast food. Go, go, go. Uh, get things done where, where Italians actually sit down and, and, and expect company when they eat. Um, which is which is very very important something that we're, we've lost a lot in American society, but as as far as material possessions go, um, I don't agree necessarily for the motive. Um, I think I've said many times before how how we Americans, especially as Catholics, we do need to simplify our lives. That we do very much expect a comfortable life, and when you know an ounce of of comfort is taken away from us, well, we complain. Um, but reality, I mean, it doesn't hurt to to live more simply. But in regards to European politics is another thing um, to, to, to live for the right motives is crucial because you, you can't become a saint just living a, a, as a socialist, as an atheistic socialist is socialism that that reduces the church and, and, and Christianity and Catholicism to just another NGO. Uh, the motives are, are crucial in, in who we become and, and whether or not we get to heaven. So if you're downsizing simply to save the planet, climate change or whatever, wrong motive. If you're downsizing because you're attached to material things and, and you need to uh, get those out of your way so you can spend more time in prayer or concentrate more in prayer because you, you know, you're preoccupied with the things that you might lose, then it's good to, to downsize and get rid of those things. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's an interesting point of view. A lot of people have pointed out that the USSA is not set up for it's not walkable villages. It's mm-hmm. not our heritage. It's not. I mean, you can you can probably thank the tire lobby, uh, the and the car lobby for the fact that we don't have trains and we don't have mass transport and mm-hmm. and and our cities are young. Our cities are so young that they were built and developed around automobiles, you know, so so we don't have the ability as Americans to emulate the European lifestyle. It's almost as though Dear Leader is asking us to take all the downside of being European, but but none of the upside. We don't get to have Christendom. We don't get to have culture. We don't get to have European nice things. Right. Or beauty. Uh, we have strip malls. We have you know the ugliness of of capitalist society. But we have to have, you know, but we have to have all the downside of, you know, socialized medicine and high taxes and taxing you till you die. And then when you die, they tax you again. Um, so I, I just I don't I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. OK, uh, we want we need to talk about the church. And uh, so we're going to take the next 10 minutes and do that. A couple articles have broken on Rorote Celli and LifeSite News and other places with respect to the future of the Latin mass. If you haven't heard, um, I definitely recommend subscribing to both Rorote and um, to LifeSite. James, it seems imminent that uh, not only will there be a papal visitation sent to the FSSP and the Institute of Christ the King and others, but that it's already on the books. It's happening in February. Uh, Papal visitation to quiet, hidden, cloistered nuns has been disastrous. Uh, under this pontificate. Um, does this spell doom in early next year for the former Ecclesia Day orders? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've been calling this for many, many years, even before the implementation of uh, Benedict's Simorum Pontificum. We can kind of see already, you know, the, the reason why the Ecclesia Day committees uh, were uh, brought in was to sort of... Um, you know, have a point of control into traditionalism. And this was always going to be something that was, uh, you know, uh, released to the people, you know, and then retracted. And you know, so now with the right person in power, um, Francis, we can kind of see this uh, to a point now where it's obviously uh, ridiculous because it's happening so so quickly. But this is something that we, you know, kind of looking uh 10 years ago, you can kind of see this is where it's going. There have been letters issued by Francis to, to, to some of these orders in the past. You know, I remember one, was it, uh, and Ryan can probably correct me here, was it 2015, uh, a letter from, uh, I, I guess, so, someone in the Vatican at the time to the FSSB, you know, we're expecting you uh, to eventually say the, the uh, Nova Soto Mass. So this is going to be happening. Um, and... Um, to expect anything else would be to, you know, basically not wanting to conform to that reality. So of course we, we pray, we pray that things are are slowed down, but you know, uh, with the way things are going, you know, there's no other way out of this than to say, okay, uh, the, you know, the the Vatican right now is, is the enemy of the traditional line of mass. What are we going to do to, to fix this problem? And so we have to fix the idea of what it means to, you know, what's a priest going to do, who is told you now have to say the Nova Soto Mass? What's he going to do? What's his idea uh, of obedience? And going back to what Brother Martin said, you know, what's that obedience mean for each and every priest who's going to be put in into that advice, into that advice grip? Um, 
you know, so I'm going to be looking at, yeah, go ahead. No, I, I mean, this is, I don't necessarily want to take us Ryan into the, into the point where we're speculating about what may happen in the future. However, I think that we can prudentially make predictions about what's happening according to what is being published in mainstream, trustworthy, um, actual journalism, Catholic journalism. And, um, and it does seem like the time for choosing that I know I've been talking about for the last 12 months is, is upon us. What do you think? Um, I haven't seen an announcement in the uh, the Boletino of the Holy See that they're going to, you know, about the visitation. They wouldn't necessarily announce that now. So as far as we can tell, it's it's a rumor. But one of the things we've observed or I've observed over this papacy is that there is not there are not a lot of leaks unless they mean there to be leaks. Okay, because mm-hmm. they have a, they have things locked down pretty tight. And you saw with the release of Jailers of the Tradition a month or so leading up to that, there were, a, you know, a dozen or so contrary and even contradictory rumors about what would or wouldn't be put in the document. And it was actually, I think, Diane Montagna who correctly called most of what was in it um, before it came out. But still, there, there were other speculations about it, some of which were false. And I think a, lo- a lot of those were leaked on purpose to keep some of the confusion up. So if they're really, if it's really being leaked and seems fairly credible, you know, I'm not going to diss the reporting going on because we don't know for a fact, but it looks pretty credible what we're seeing in Rarate and what, um, and especially in LifeSite on that, uh, you know, subject, then it's probably there, it's leaked on purpose, probably to see what uh, the Ecclesia Day communities are going to do when they, they get that information and kind of watch, put something out there, let's see what they do and then prepare the next move based on that. So, but it really doesn't matter. We could speculate about these things or look at the reports. But again, go, I know I've talked about this before. Go right back to Jailers of the Tradition, the accompanying letter. What does Pope Francis say in that? That the goal is to move these communities back to saying the Novus Ordo. Which, of course, like for a lot of, like for my kids, that ain't back to. That's to a brand new thing. My kids have never seen the Novus Ordo. Except for my older boys saw it once and they couldn't understand what was going on, even though it was in English. So it, it's... The time for choosing will come. We know that's there. It's in the blueprint. There will be a time where they are simply going to say, you cannot be Catholic and go to the traditional Latin mass, which is absurd. It's exactly the opposite. But um, and you're going to have to choose. All right, where, where am I going to go now? Am I going to go to the Society of Pius X? Uh, am I going to find this independent priest somewhere? Um, or what, what's going to happen with all these fraternity and institute priests that in uh, other associated orders that uh, have to get up and go somewhere? And are they going to go to the Novus Ordo? Are they going to go independent? You know, where are they going to go? Right. That, those are all questions to, that people need to start working out. Am I going to go Byzantine? And if you do go Byzantine, do not make it a LARP. Do not make it, well, you know, you, you get in there and start complaining. Just, you know, embrace that and be happy with that. And don't piss them <laughs> off there because they're going to be providing you the sacraments. Um, you know, it, it sounds like you speak from personal experience on that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, so it's, yes, I've seen it a lot with trads and, and they, go, they go to the Byzantine, right? And that's like, you know, it's fine to have opinions about what should or shouldn't, you know, have happened historically in the church or whatnot, but it's their church. They are a self-governing church, you know, at least give them a certain degree of respect because they're giving you the sacraments. You know, right. And that's yeah. something I've seen from trads in certain places. They go over, yeah. Hey, why aren't you doing it this way or whatever, whatever. All right. By the way, agree. Ryan, I, I, yeah, it's just one comment. I, I like your uh, dynamic translation there. Jailers of tradition. That's, that's yes. pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
only a Latinist could have so much fun. So <laughs> I want to bring it to uh, to Brother Martin, and I want to add in another piece of news that uh, came out this week with respect to this whole attack on traditionalism. It's not just that the papal visitator has been scheduled to visit with the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, and the other major Clays of Day orders. It has also been reported that uh, the next move um, post uh, Traditionis Custodis is to appoint these apostolic um, rep- delegates or representatives mm-hmm. who then sit on top of each of the orders. So they don't necessarily become the, uh, they're, they're not making themselves the district superiors. They're making themselves the superiors of the district superiors. Mm-hmm. And that these people have to be appointed by the Novus Ordo Bishop. They have to be Novus Ordo clerics. They cannot be traditionalists. And that these people will now have the power uh, and the, uh, the mandate to govern the Ecclesia Dei orders. Brother Martin, what do you make of all of this? Is, is, is this, and in the article, it explicitly said that they are, they are intending to force the Fraternity of St. Peter, the Institute of Christ the King, and others to say the Novus Ordo Mass. That's what the, that's what the news report says. What do you think about that? I mean, to be honest, I'll, I'll laugh whenever that delegate is probably going to be a woman over the fraternity of St. Peter. But anyway, um, <laughs> there, there's a saying in Rome regarding the church that if it's regarding rumors, that if it's not true, it's well-founded. And in speculation that maybe this rumor escaped to see what these communities would do. I think the the Ecclesia uh, Day communities have been really good about not being proactive regarding news but being very responsive, waiting waiting until something officially comes out from Rome to say anything. I think someone actually already reached out to the Fraternity of St. Peter, and the Fraternity of St. Peter said, we've not been told anything by Rome, and so this is, this is what we're going by. We've not heard anything. And so I, I don't really expect them to be proactive and trying to get ahead of it. And so given that the fact that this, this has leaked, I mean, there's a lot of people in the Vatican that are, that are just uh, – very frustrated. Even people that don't like the, the traditional Latin mass are just frustrated with, with the administration, current administration. Um, but going back to the example of, of the Franciscans, the Immaculate, who were uh, of pontifical right, which is directly answerable to the Pope, which is what the Fraternity of St. Peter is, the Institute of Christ the King, all these guys, they already know exactly how, how, to, how, to, how to perform their execution, so to speak. And they'll do it in such a way where, where it's all about obedience. It's all about your, your faithfulness to the, to the Holy See, to the Holy Father, so that they can, they can formally call you a schismatic, et cetera, et cetera, and scare the laity who really think that um, all the law is, is justifiably used in this manner to, to kick out Catholics from the Catholic Church. I mean, the church is ours. And so um, it's time that we actually dig down and, and study canon law a little bit. I wrote an article for 1 Peter 5, Religious Life, Operation, Survival, that talks about something that a lot of people don't understand, which is the de facto association. Um, I reference the canons. I, I use commentaries to explain how religious life can survive in these times. Um, it gets a little bit more tricky whenever you talk about priests and, and holy orders, because uh, once a de facto association has a, a priest that is a regular in the community, they, they can no longer call themselves uh, a de facto association because they're affiliating with people that are technically schismatic. Um, and so things get really tricky. And so I think um, and we got, we got to, Buckle our seatbelts, start to study a little bit, trust that, you know, uh, what we really need for our families is, is the true faith and, and the valid sacraments. Uh, and if we have those two things, then, then our Lord is ha- going to have to do something to 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 fix the problems that we can't fix. Because the only thing that we can do is is the things that we can do, which is find a, a solid Catholic priest uh, 
who gives us the sac- traditional sacraments. One thing I was reading this past week at the beginning of Advent um, was in Dom Garen Jay in his uh, liturgical life. Um, he talks about how the liturgy right, in the early days of the church was enough, was, 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 was enough um, that it was not uncommon that people, just uh, Catholic faithful, would be selected as priests and bishops just having had the formation from the liturgy itself. And this is important. It struck me really hard because what changed in the 1960s was precisely the liturgy, the prayers themselves, the form. And so now you have something completely different, a different theology forming the lay faithful, forming spiritually. Whereas before, um, the, the traditional mass was sufficient um, to, to form priests and even bishops, whereas now they're not even sufficient to form a faithful Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're asking, so so do we just go go to the Novus Ordo, take our family to the Novus Ordo, because uh, and the traditional Latin mass is being suppressed? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Let's go. Let's go around on that one, um, James. If if the Latin mass became very hard for you to find, would you just go to the Novus Ordo ever? Probably not. You know, um, and I'm and I'm okay with that because I I know obviously what the true faith is and what it, it uh, whatever it requires. And after having uh, seen how the Novus Ordo mass is basically uh, Kramer's mass. And mm-hmm. how the church in the 16th century did everything it could to suppress uh, that inclination to move uh, t- toward that, uh, what we call today the bastardized liturgy. Then my my belief is that I have to do everything I can to preserve the faith, myself, my family. And that, remo- that, that for me is rem- removing that element, which will lead me the opposite way. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I believe. And so uh, for me, uh, it's back to uh, hunkering down uh, and praying like those Japanese did who didn't have uh, the faith for so many hundreds of years. Uh, What about you, Ryan? Uh, Traditional liturgy becomes impossible for you to attend. Do you go to Novus Ordo? What do you do? Um, Just to keep the sacraments, I'd probably go Byzantine because we have one around here. At least I'd start attending a Byzantine rite uh you know a church that offers the eastern rite and or, or move somewhere whether that that ends up being in the ukrainian church or the maronite church or some other uh eastern catholic church with the traditional liturgy because they'll be left alone for a while eventually though it'll move around to them and i've already seen you know talk about this in different places of uh you know the the, the liturgy of saint john chrysostom needs its vatican too i've seen articles about that uh well I mean, basically because it's too traditional for the liking of, of Novus Ordo prelates that they, they really do not like, it, especially, um, you know, you remember the 19th century Bishop Ireland and all the trouble he caused for Eastern Rite Catholics. Uh, and he didn't like their liturgy. He wanted them to simply say the Latin mass he, and only that, and then to suppress their traditional liturgy, the same way is now being done to us. Uh, they want, he, you know, he wanted uh, absolute control. He didn't like that. They had their own hierarchy and they can, especially, you know, various traditions he couldn't stand. Right. And so he did his best to persecute them. And a lot of them ended up leaving and going to the Orthodox and whatnot. Um, so it, anyway, so the, it, but it is a traditional liturgy where I can get the sacraments. And so that's probably where I would end up, at least, you know, in the short term. Um, I'd prefer to have the traditional Latin mass. I'd prefer to have that normally. And we'll see, you know, if we can find it, get anchored to it. That's that's what we're going to try to do. But then living conditions come in. So that's the other problem on the other side. 
you've got to be able to provide for your family. You've got to find the most advantageous, you know, situation that you can for surviving the times that are coming. And so that could be, you know, you move to this area, you know, you, you have to lose some material comforts, but you get to have, you know, but then you get to have the mass. And you're providing and you're able to, you know, produce crops because that's the thing. We need to be growing things. We need to be raising animals. We need to be teaching people how to butcher. I mean, if it's someone like myself can learn how to butcher, then anybody can do it. All right. Which is just put it out that way. So these are the skills we need to get. And we need to find the places where we can have property and do that. And that may mean being very far away from a traditional liturgy. And then in that case, it's just like James said, the Japanese at Nagasaki, um, they hunkered down. And, you know, the last priest, you know, leaves, the last Jesuit leaves there and he tells him, this is what a Catholic priest is going to do. This is what he's going to say. So you'll ask him these questions. And they learned that and passed it down for 200 years. And then when uh, Maximilian Kolbe's uh, Franciscan friars come back, they ask him what, you know, the questions and they answer correctly. And so they receive him as a priest and, and for 200 years handing the faith down. And this is the significant thing why I want to avoid the Novus Ordo at all costs. What if a Novus Ordo priest had, had in, for now, finally gotten over to the Japanese and that was the first one they had met? He would not have been able to answer their questions. He would, they would not have believed he was a real Catholic priest and they would have rejected him. Uh, I think That's that should clue us in. an interesting thought experiment because you're absolutely right. It was almost 250 years and it was uh, the way that the Nagasaki Catholics who were living underground passed on the faith was through the families and each family had a particular role. One family was involved with, um, they were like the sacristan family. And one family was like the, the baptism family. Um, and one family was the, um, the historical and theological family. And then there was a head family. And the firstborn son of the head family had the solemn responsibility of leading and governing the Catholic community until such a time as the Catholic priest was to return to Nagasaki. And the question that they asked him when he arrived, uh, it was at, he, uh, a couple uh, Japanese Catholics snuck into the church and watched him say mass and waited for him to finish uh, praying the office. And then the question that they had for him was, where is Our Lady? Where is the Mother of God? And he, he pointed to the statue of Our Lady, and he said, she's right there. And they said, we know that this is the true church. Um, that may not, we, we may not be living through that extreme of a time, Brother Martin. We may not be, have, be totally without sacraments. But if, you, if your choice was to have an irregular sacrament, so-called, um, either from the Society of St. Pius X or some other irregularity, or the Novus Ordo, where do you fall? This is something I've been really red pilling on recently too. Um, even so much, like because canon law permits us even to go to the Eastern churches, like the Eastern Orthodox, et cetera, if there's some spiritual benefit and if there's no danger to our faith. To be honest, I think Novus Ordo Catholicism is so far from the original Catholicism that there are so many things that are, are, are better for us spiritually uh, than going, than going Novus Ordo. Um, there are a lot, I mean, even the Eastern Orthodox seem like the Russian Orthodox are, are closer to the, to the, to the truth. I mean, obviously the traditional Catholicism is the truth. And if you can find a traditional Catholic, absolutely go there. 
but Novus Ordoism, and I use the Eastern Orthodox only to explain how far Novus Ordo Catholicism actually is from the truth. Um, and so when I say don't go to the Novus Ordo, I'm, I'm thinking like there's there's so many other places that you need to find first, so many other options that need to be exhausted um, before one actually goes goes to a Novus Ordo uh, picnic mass kind of thing. Okay. Do you mind um, if I say something here real, real quick? Just, uh, yeah, just back to that note, um, back to the Japanese. Uh, really incredible story there. Uh, what I wanted to add was, and I think uh, this is our requisite uh, historian here, Ryan, he knows everything. But Ryan, wasn't there a book that was also a source of comfort uh, to the Japanese? It was uh, Lewis of Grenada's uh, Sinner's Guide. And this book mm-hmm. uh, basically sort of helped them to understand what it meant also to live a moral life in that time. Right. And it was handed down. It was part of things that were handed I don't know that they all had the book per se, sure. but they had the maxims of it distilled through the families. And because so much was by it was by it was a literate society in general, but the way I mean the paper the the technology without printing without ubiquitous paper, you only wrote and read when you had to. So almost everything's still coming word of mouth and by tradition. So that's what they're receiving, and especially when you come over to different families who had, had uh, might have had the book or had knowledge of it, because uh, it was illegal. It was illegal to possess any kind of Christian writings. Um, you know, crucifixes were illegal. They'd have to be hidden away in, in, in cupboards and then, you know, and then exposed for prayer when, uh, you know, n- nobody would be looking. So th- that was how they passed it on, you know, again, you know, through an oral tradition that was unbroken for 250 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and I think... I'll, I'll just make the point um, briefly. I think the, the, the point of this is, is that you have to avoid the Novus Ordo. You just do. If that means in the coming, in the future, when uh, the Novus Ordo is proposed as the only right, the only expression of the mass, um, then you have to do what you have to do at that point in time. And I think even some of the priests whose names are very well known, whose uh, sermons get you know tens and hundreds of thousands of views. I think even even they would tell you that we're now in a state of emergency. Um, if 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 outright suppression of the ecclesia day orders happens, this is there's no doubt that we're in a state of emergency. I think a reasonable person could argue that that you know five years ago we were not in a state of emergency. I believe that we were. But I can see why somebody would argue five years ago, 10 years ago, that we were not in a state of emergency. I think now in 2021, cresting into 2022, when there's going to be no uh, Holy Week uh, traditional mass in Rome and possibly no public Holy Week mass in the traditional rite anywhere in the world publicly, um, I think that's a state of emergency. And I think we all know the story of Bonini, and we all know that he started with the Triduum, and here they are messing with the Triduum again. Um, it's it is as though it is as though the demonic oppression and obsession with destroying the old right, the old faith, uh, is is on full display. And so, I, I for me, my and my family. We will never attend the Novus Ordo ever for any reason. I don't care if it's a birthday or a, or a baptism or a wedding or a whatever. I, I'll go to the wedding after party. I will go to the, I will go to the funeral at the cemetery and, and bury the body. 
but for us, we're just not going to do it. And I think that if you have, if you stand by that principle uh, and then you pivot off of that principle, then you will be given the grace when the time for choosing comes to you and your geography and what options you have available um, and, and what you do have to do with your family. And I think it's, it's that simple. You know, what's interesting, and, and I want to say this well, um, I hope I don't botch it, but the, the reason why a, a lot of us are able to come to this understanding, which you've just so cleverly uh, laid out, Mike, is we've had a period of uh, reflection over the years, sometimes, you know, we've waned ourselves from a lot of these beliefs because we were maybe at one point in time introspective. Uh, there was time to do that. And so because we had that time, then we've now developed this adult understanding of how things really are in the church. And unfor unfortunately, for, for those who are still coming to, come to terms with what's going on, there's an attachment there to the way things are right not to the way things are supposed to be so that attachment is probably one one of the bigger uh struggles people have in realizing this state of emergency that we're we're in and so the, the hope is that uh people start to realize sooner than later you know uh you you have to understand exactly the principles uh, you know that, that are out there for you to understand otherwise you're going to be wanting to go back to that gutter and i don't mean this uh in the in the wrong way yeah but it is it is a gutter you know because mm. there's so much there's so much in there that we don't want to have that's going to be basically stuck to us when it comes time to move forward mm-hmm Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the one thing, Ryan, and I, I mean, you're so good on this topic, but the the idea of the forming of the, of the imagination of children, I mean, the Jesuits, before they were one of the greatest forces for evil on the planet, were for adept at forming children. They said, if you give, you know, give me your child until, I think he was seven, but maybe some people have said nine or ten, give me your child until he's seven, and I will give him back to you, and he'll be formed for the rest of his life. The imagery that comes into your mind when you're a child, it forms the basis by which you make judgments for the rest of your life. If you if you present the imagery of the of a clown mass or a dog mass or a beach mass or or some watered down version of Catholicism to your children, that's how they'll be formed for the rest of their life. There's and it's very hard to go back on that. It's extremely hard. It's uh, one of those types of things where if they are seeing clown masses and these sorts of things, what what are you telling them? You're telling them God's not important. God's a joke, basically, just as clowns are a joke. I mean, they just look at those associations, circuses, clowns, you know, exotic animals doing all kinds of silly things, uh, monkeys, whatnot. And they go to mass where all sorts of silly circus-like things are happening. And guess what? Uh, God's not important. God doesn't matter. This is all, you know, silly and fun, right? Um, then, you know, my sins don't really matter because after all, God's silly and fun. That That's, that's the kind of almost... Um, that's your your view of reality that you're instilling in your children's minds. If you go to a mass that, you know, it's it's better. They don't do clown and monkey stuff. They're just kind of reading out of the book, um, you know. And then he's preaching, kind of wishy washy. Maybe you got you know a novice sort of priest that's really dedicated to his time and he really believes and he's in the, in the true faith that he's really trying his best with what he's got. You know, and you're in a better situation, but the the nature of the ritual itself is still leading to community-centered worship. It's about us. You're stilling these little through signs and symbols in your children's mind, 
right? And, and this this is all really problematic. And I think that you know, it's one thing if you individually as, as an adult that can separate one thing or the other and you say, well, I need the sacrament. So I'm going to just go because there's this Nova Surto over here where the priest doesn't monkey around. He just reads out of the missile and then he and then and then that's it. Well, that's one thing. But when you're talking about your kids, too, you're forming them in something that really can harm their view of God long term. And maybe they'll come around and maybe they won't. But why do you want to go there if you don't have to? That's that's the thing. And so that's what you really should be avoiding, I think. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Now, this again, this is not a theoretical discussion. I mean, this is something that we have to we have to make appropriate plans for. It doesn't mean that I, Brother Martin, uh, help help us land the plane on this and then we'll get to the unpops. It doesn't mean that we are going to sit here and, and worry and have anxiety over it and all that. It just means, hey, you know, if if this, then that. Right. You know, if X, then Y. If this happens, then this is my plan. You know, making uh, making contingency plans and 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 being prepared is an eminently Catholic thing. Being worried about it and having precipitated emotions about what the uncertain future may bring is not a Catholic response. Mm-hmm. Well, I agree. And I think we also need to include the possibility that um, I mean, the SSPX only has four bishops. And some of them are, aren't in great health. Some of them are over in Europe. Um, depending on how vaccination requirements goes, jab requirements, sorry. Um, now we're off YouTube. Anyway, <laughs> uh, those bishops may not be able to come to the United States to, to ordain more priests, et cetera. Um, SSPX priests may not be able to, to fly because of these requirements to get to their mission chapels, et cetera, et cetera. So I think uh, some of these things we also need to consider um, when thinking about Sunday ma- Sunday masses. Uh, do, do I live near a mission or do I live near a priory of the SSPX? Is there a traditional com- community that's, I mean, a young man willing to bite the bullet and be ordained by uh, just another validly ordained bishop but in a schismatic group um, simply to provide the lady the sacraments? This was done constantly behind the, the Iron Curtain uh, back when communism ruled. As we were saying earlier in the show, Mike, you said... Um, a lot, we're living in a socialist state, and a lot of people don't even realize it. And so it's like the Iron Curtain, but people are all blind to it. Um, so we included in our contingency plans has to be what happens if, if uh, travel requirements become so strict that um, our, the regular priests that travel here to, to, do, to provide us the sacraments can't do that anymore. What's our contingency, contingency plan? Uh, but no, all, all, all of this is stuff we just we need to think about and, yeah, keep calm and carry on. Mm-hmm. Final thoughts from uh, Ryan or James before we get to the unpopular opinions for the week. Not for me. The words of Ryan and James have ended. Okay. <laughs> I've laughed a lot. So, <laughs> so every week, uh, James, we have the unpopular opinions. And the point is, is to say something that is true, but it's going to trigger people. And so you give your most unpopular truth of the week. Sometimes it's related to news. Sometimes in Ryan's case, it, it, it is very random. <laughs> um, in, in Steve's case, keep you on your toes. It, it can be a filibuster. Um, but um, then the, we put the poll out on Twitter. And then the whole point is you vote for the one that triggers you the most. You're like, oh, that one hurts, but it's true. And I don't want to agree with it. Is it? Okay, so that's how that's how this works. I've explained this, I don't know, for the last year and a half. Um, we usually, we typically will start with Steve, but he's not here. So we'll go next in line to Ryan. We'll do Ryan, brother, James, Mike, in that order. Here we go. 
Okay. There's a term that's coming around that I really dislike very, very strongly in regard to the unholy sacrifice of the jab. And so people, it's called pure blood. So people that have said that, you know, we're, we're pure and better because we didn't get it. Now, there's a certain sense in which that may, in fact, be true based on what this thing is. But it's feeding into this whole thing that a trend that I really don't like, which is the reverse of what the jabbed are saying. Right. It was basically saying we need to stay, stay away from these people. These people are completely tainted. We can never be around them for any reason whatsoever. Now, I mean, I've got questions about issues like jab shedding and, and these sorts of things. But when you look at the effect of that, what is it? You're getting the exact same message that Fauci and, and his, his Fauciist uh, minions are trying to get across. Stay away from your fellow man. Get, segregate from your fellow man. Dividing people against each other more and more and more. And there's a lot of people that got the unholy sacrifice, the jab first time around that are now, you know, coming around to saying, hey, this whole thing's messed up. And now they're looking at it the way we are. Right. And so and we should be grateful to receive these people kind of into the ranks that are, again, resisting any further things with that. And I think that, you know, the, the, the race to segregate ourselves away from everybody else just plays into the narrative of the Fauchists. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I just had coffee with someone uh, who was telling me something that is very similar to what you said. And that is that if we, and this is not my unpopular opinion, but this is a, this is a regurgitation of what you just said. If we fall into false fake news, propagandize right wing talking points, they will use that to discredit us. We are doing the work of the enemy for them. If we provide the disinformation and those types of labels, as you say, don't help us. They just hurt. Uh, Brother Martin. I think I've already said some unpopular things today, calling the Eastern systematics, Eastern Orthodox. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, and also just never go to the Novus Ordo. I think that's pretty popular to get me in trouble in some ecclesiastical circles. Um, but I think my unpopular opinion, I think I'm just going to double down precisely on that is that the, the Novus Ordo is so far from authentic Catholic truth and as you know, a drop of poison in a glass of water, something that's good for us, can do a lot of damage. Um, of course, if, if you're if you're the only church you can get to on a Sunday is an, is an Eastern schismatic church, then you're dispensed of your Sunday obligation because you can't be obliged to do something that is impossible. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's important to recognize how far from the, the truth these prayers actually have become. The the culture that they've created in parishes is is, is a direct fruit from these prayers. Um, that it's, it's not possible just to take refuge in, in, in the nearest reverent Novus Ordo um, because it's only a matter of time before Latin gets banned and Gregorian chant gets banned and uh, Orientum gets banned and nice vestments get banned and they just ban one thing after the other after the other just it's a frog in boiling water don't be a frog in boiling water um, stand up and say no we're sticking to the truth and if if, if the bishop hates you for it then you know what he's eventually he'll die just like every human being they die um but if we hold fast to the truth if we seek first righteousness if we if we uh, do our mental prayer every morning um even though rundown was a little early this morning but nonetheless um i mean god's gonna take care of us he's gonna provide we just we just have to i guess kind of detach ourselves from from the mentality of everything being according to the institutional structure um you know love, love god and love his church um know the Pope is not God. 
So yeah, it's my popular opinion. <laughs> I think that last sentence alone is its own unpopular opinion that can be that can stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, not with this audience, it wouldn't be unpopular. <laughs> right, right. Uh, James. Okay, well, here's something that's definitely going to get me in trouble uh, because I've been saying this for the last uh, few years, but uh, maybe a little bit more uh, muted. So you get to hear this from me today. And, you know, my unpopular opinion is that the African priests are not going to save the world. You know, I've been getting over the years, people send me articles or, you know, questions about, uh, you, you know, they see one devout Novosota priest here or maybe several devout Novosota priests. And, you know, they even look perhaps at uh, Cardinal Sarah and uh, Cardinal Lorenze, and they, they look to the African church as uh, the church that's going to come out and basically blankets the entire world with, uh, you know, the spiritual uh, richness that we need. But my, my answer has always been, well, you know, the African church suffers from a lot of things that uh, we suffer from here in the West. You, we don't see a lot of it because um, we don't understand necessarily how things work over there, but um, there's still a huge problem with animism and uh, even, uh, you know, dealings with uh, ecumenism, you know. So a lot of these priests that we see, you know, they do a lot of, uh, you know, interfaith dialogues with Muslims and uh, the bishops are usually very supportive of that. And this would be bishops that are more inclined toward, quote unquote, tradition, right? And so people will see that, uh, or rather people don't see that. What they see instead is, oh, you know, bishop says, pray the rosary and, you know, go out there and, and uh, do good things or uh, th things of that nature. And then they automatically think, oh, wow, this is a one good, you know, uh, thing is happening out of Africa as all these priests are super conservative. Well, they're conservative when it comes to, you know, uh, the moral order, of course, you know, divorce, remarriage, uh, things things like that. But, you know, when the, when the question comes of, uh, you know, faith, you know, and liturgy, it's the complete opposite, you know? So you go to African masses and you see a lot of dancing up and down the aisles and uh, you, you see a lot of people uh, meeting for interfaith uh, dialogue with the Muslims, you know, and that's that's a huge problem. So I tell people to sort of like, well, you know, quiet down a little bit, you know, yeah, it's great that you have one or two priests that are out there in Africa doing, you know, wonderful things. But, uh, you know, what we want in the end is priests who are loyal to true tra tradition, who understand what it means to actually promote uh, the healthy church, right? And so, yes, we do have society uh, presence in Africa. We have uh, state, <laughs> the state of Vacantes also have a presence in Africa. Um, and the FSSP is also in Africa. So there's there's tradition growing there. But, you know, we have to look to tradition rather than to, you know, uh, the idea that an entire continent full of, you know, uh, proceeds conservative uh, priests or what's going to lead us back, you know, or rather lead the world into uh uh, you know, a realization of or a re-realization of the faith. So, um, yeah, that's my unpopular opinion. Okay. All right. Um, very good. Mine this week, my unpopular opinion this week is also about traditionalists, and it's a critique of traditionalists. And here goes. When we built Christendom, we built Christendom 
as an outgrowth, as an organic outgrowth of the mass. What I see with American trads, and I, I see this very clearly, um, is that we are not trying to reconstruct Christendom as an organic outgrowth of the mass. What do I mean by that? American trads tend to show up to mass. By the way, our churches are fantastically ugly. They are just <laughs> abysmal compared to, uh, compared to those in Europe. We dress really shabbily and drab. Uh, we have a bunch of pale people who stare at the floor, who don't make eye contact with you. We don't make Catholicism beautiful because Catholicism is not making us beautiful. So we may prefer, we may take our broken lives into mass and we escape the chaos of, all, of, of everybody's broken lives and we sit there and we have something that's ordered and beautiful. But if you don't allow the order and the beauty of the liturgy to not only penetrate you, but to change you and form you and form your family and form your community and your friends and your art and your architecture and your tastes and your literature and your music, then we are not rebuilding Christendom and it's all just a LARP. And so my, my uh, critique of American trads is that they get extremely legalistic with uh, with, you know, I, I prefer that, you know, when the priest turns around to give us the absolution, if his left hand doesn't touch the altar and when he gives us the absolution, then it's then it's not correct because he's not proceeding from the power of the altar because some priests put their hand here and others put their hand on the. OK, if that is what you're focused on at mass, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. But the liturgy is not going to penetrate that soul. It's not going to find its way into that house. And as John Sr. says, all of art, all of architecture, all of culture is an outgrowth of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And if it's not an outgrowth of the holy sacrifice of the mass, and you're just going there to critique the priest or the servers or who, whatever, or what Linda's wearing, then you're there for the wrong reason. And, you're, and although a sacrament will have been conferred, and although the sacrament will have been given to you, and will have been received into your body, I'm not so sure that the sacrament will have been received into your soul. So my point is, is that we need to stop LARPing the traditional Catholic faith, and we need to start living the traditional Catholic faith. And until that happens, until everyone around us can see the joy and the beauty and how awesome it is to be a traditional Catholic, until we make it beautiful, we turn their heads before we turn their hearts. We're not going to convert anybody. And we're just a self-licking ice cream cone. All right. That's my uh, unpopular opinion <laughs> for that's the fine. week. That, was, that, was, that, was that's been that was a good one. Yeah. That was been growing for a while. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, away from the American church right now. And, and I can just see it so crystal clear from where I'm sitting right now. Um, okay. Let's get to the grifter segment. I think this is uh, this is Christine's favorite segment, Brother Martin, where you uh, where you get to grift. Uh, Ryan, you're grifting. James, I don't know if you're grifting anything, James. I, I'm, I'm never grifting anything. I'm just asking people to subscribe to things and attend conferences that I like, like the Holy Base Conference. Um, but uh, let's start with you, Ryan. Okay, so this week I am shamelessly grifting. I was talking about this book uh, prior to our hiatus, and um, I also did an interview with Catholic Drive Time on the Guadalupe Radio Network uh, not too long ago. So, uh, Heroines of Christ. Uh, it's a great book. 
um, edited. Well, yeah, you can see the SJ there. That's back when it was a good thing. Uh, and uh, edited, actually put together by several Jesuits, which again, my wife told me this book was very inspirational when she was uh, a girl. And I'm like, it was edited by six Jesuits that in the 1940s. That's not looking very good. And as I got through it, I said, hey, this is actually really good. It's extremely well-written biographies of uh, uh, a number of saints. And so I'll just open up a page here. So you can see that. Um, so great book, very inspirational, good for uh, your teenagers, uh, children, as well as adults. Adults will enjoy it as well. Um, otherwise, I've got, um, I redid uh, On the Marks of the Church, and it was smaller volume. When I started printing, I was really addicted to these very large size uh, books for some reason. They don't look very good, so I'm changing those out. So um, I've had, the, this was the very first translation of Bellarmine I ever put out, So, but now I've done it in a newer edition. So uh, if you wanted just to get this a standalone instead of in the collected works volume, um, then that's smaller with a new cover. And so otherwise, uh, Mediatrix Press is having an Advent sale. Just type in Advent. It's on the website right when you log on, and you'll get 20% off. So Cyber Monday is done. Black Friday was like, psh, hardly had any decent sales. Bezos is one and done. Mediatrix Express is still going until 17th December with our Advent sale, 20% off. Okay. Ryan, I'm triggered by your use of that term, Black Friday. I'm not happy. <laughs> shame, shame on you. Shame, shame. Oh, I knew that somebody on this stream was a racist. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. That's racist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, Brother Martin, are you having a Brown Friday sale? Like that, or? <laughs> not yet, but something, something is soon to be on sale. I've sent our Augustinian calendar to the printers. Everything seems to be understood well of how we want the calendar. Um, hopefully it's a little better quality than, than our last year's was. Um, but sometime this week, I hope to have that up on our website, our, our shop page again, um, with the new 2022 uh, traditional Augustinian calendar, according to the 1954 rubrics, um, with all the Augustinian saints on them. So it'll be our, it's our own unique calendar for traditional Augustinians. Nobody else in the entire world is putting this thing out. Um, I'm only ordering 100 copies for, for now, see if they go. Um, so get yours soon before, before they run out. All right. You're selling calendars. I, I suspect that people might have a problem with you selling calendars, Brother Martin. It's very, very scandalous. James, I, you're not a grifter. You're, this is your first time on the rundown. But will, will you take a moment and tell us about yourself and recommend something to do or buy? Um, there's not much to say about myself. Uh, I've been around for a long time. I just try to I try to keep to myself uh, in, in most cases. And honestly, congrats to you because many have tried to get me online in some sort of format as this. And, uh, you know, I've been very reluctant, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here with you guys. And um, you can find me on YouTube uh, never, except <laughs> except apparently here. Uh, but I'm definitely on Twitter. I am uh, James the Texas Trad on Twitter. And, um you know, I, I have a background in philosophy and theology and, you know, pretty much that's kind of where I'm going to gonna leave it. But, uh, I've been uh, happy to join you guys here today and, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens. What I do want to add uh, to the grift uh, segment here, not my grift, but um, I want to promote something I was talking about earlier on in the, in the show, 
This is uh, Lewis of Grenada's book. He's known as the layman's theologian because he puts things in very simple context for people like you and me to understand. You know, so you don't have to have uh, this heady understanding of uh, you know theology, philosophy. You know, because we're living in a time where it's crucial to kind of you know be prayerful. I know someone out there put a poll about uh, how would you know you know if you were belonging to the right church in a time of schism. You know, my response is, well, you got to pray harder. You, you got to be able to pray and you got to pray that, you know, our lady would lead and protect you and all that. So Louis of, of Grenada sort of helps you um, with uh, you know, understanding certain things and to sort of move you in the direction of understanding certain things. And I think for me, uh, a big help in my struggle with understanding why the church, the, the new church was teaching things that were so different you know, than what the old church was teaching. Uh, I read uh, A Sinner's Guide, and I kind of understood at that point, oh, wow, this is a book that's for this time. We need that book this time. So if everyone, you know, wants to read this book, if you haven't read it, it's called The Sinner's Guide by Lewis of Grenada, and it's a very, very good book and instrumental in my uh, basically uh, – uh, sent to to what we consider the old truth, which is always going to be the truth. I, hold on, hold on. You said that you have a background in philosophy and you have a background in theology. theology. Yeah. You're saying that, oh, this is just as layman's like for me. Am I going to understand <laughs> this, James? <laughs> Mike, I don't know, but uh, there's prayers out there. <laughs> That is so charitable of you. This is the best Thank you so much for watching.